This is Nuestra Palabra, Latino writers having their say, on the air. Tuning you into the Latino literary renaissance in all its splendor. Interviews, teatro, rap, fiction, poetry, memorias, composer spotlights, and more. Always mas. You're experiencing another episode of Nuestra Palabra, Latino writers having their say as we enter our 20th anniversary. You are experiencing the 20th season of Nuestra Palabra, Latino writers having their say. The radio show is a mere 17-year-old soon, but thank you for being with us all along. We keep changing. We keep evolving. I want to thank Jack 
for running the boards for Woo-hoo. us. He's a new member of the crew. We have not given him his Libro Traficante name just yet. I'm going to have to brew on that for we'll a little bit. We'll have to brew on that. We'll have to brew on that. I can so. hardly wait. All right. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. And hey, of course, we got some regulars. This is Tony Diaz of Libro Traficante. Uh, Libro Traficante Lips Mendes. And. Part of the official lineup. He's in the studio now because he's a border crosser. Uh, it's Daniel Peña. What's hey, up, brother? Hermano. Hey, man. How you doing? Hey, we're here to celebrate your new novel. Thanks, Dang. Man, I'm so excited about we it. We can't wait. Thanks for reading uh, an excerpt at the Nuestra Palabra Showcase, a little oh, preview fun. before at Brazos, and for always being real and in the stu- in the community with us. Yeah, no, man. It's been great. This is my second year here in Houston. Dang. I love it, dude. But yeah, I mean, we were just talking about the showcase, me and Lupe, before this. I just love it. Like, it was. there's so much talent in that room. Oh, appreciate that. That's yeah. good stuff, right? And Libre Traficando Liz Mendes. Hey, boss. What's up, What's brother? Up? Now, you being the rhetorical strategician, I made up that word, that you are. That's not a word now. <laughs> For those of you that didn't know, that's a word. We, Shut your mouth. <laughs> we, were, we were chatting on Facebook Live mm-hmm. how to address the soapbox, what, to, what topics to dwell on. And there were two. There was one right. was, is lying Ted Hispanic? Mm-hmm. Pause. <laughs> yeah. And the other one was about the gun control issue. And both issues were very... We're pulling at us both, but you came up in a powerful way to bring them both up. So let's talk about Lion Ted first. Is Lion Ted Hispanic? Yes or no? I think no. <laughs> no, <laughs> we got yeah, three votes. Be... No, <laughs> uh, I, I I was gonna more poetically say that Ted Cruz huele a, a tocino. He is, <laughs> he is straight up Canadian bacon. <laughs> put his at, put his butt on some pizza. <laughs> and, with some pineapple and, on there. With some pineapple yeah, on pineapple, there. Yeah, and the uh, call it a day. Like, I, I continuously <laughs> have this, like, like, like that moment when you think you're drinking hot coffee and you forget that it's hot coffee. And you're like, you forget, ah, forget like, it's Nescafe. Yeah, <laughs> you forget, like, like that moment in which you're like, I can't stand, like, you've said yet again something that's, de- like, entirely deplorable. You've earned that name amongst other names. And you keep touting how this is uh, uh, for the benefit of the state, and I don't know who he's servicing, and I'm, no. I'm no. kind of done. I, I, I am not running to his defense. I am going to say this. The only re- I know he was born in Canada. That's a fact. Right. So the only reason I think he's not Canadian is because he's not advocating to build a wall along the Canadian border because he's a, such a sellout and turns on his own right. that he'd be advocating for the wall along that border. Right. Too, if, I, he, if he could, if that was a thing, because he can't count on him, he, you know, for nothing. For nothing. Right. <laughs> Look, Canuck, get it together. <laughs> I mean, it's so obviously he's bendido, right? Like, right. I mean, that is like in the sort of there's that pejorative term, which is a sellout. But he's actually sold. I mean, the, the connective tissue between the like the NRA thing and the, like you know all, all this stuff it. is like he's completely bought by the NRA. He's completely bought by these special interests. He does not serve Tejanos. Um, I hope he gets you know just mopped by Beto O'Rourke. Now, now the um, the thing I want to add too is. Of course, this came up even more recently because he was the only senator to vote against a simple discussion on DACA and immigration. And I want that to sink in. We're not even talking about an actual policy. He was the lone senator in the entire country who did not even want to talk about it. That's not even that's, – that, that's nothing. It's just talking about it. That comes from like – that comes from a like pretty uh... – I mean, I don't, I don't understand, like, why, uh, what, I, like, what is he afraid of, kind of thing? I, is, is it to stymie the sort of uh, 
is it to not even bring up the concept of dignity, the way that is attached to these people? Is it like it's it, it offends him that he was? I don't know what it was going on. I I seriously believe he is now one of those individuals that uh, I and I don't even I'm, and I'm probably going to do this wrong, but there's those individuals that are in political positions that are like down with gay rights or yeah. transgender and then like two seconds later they're sleeping with somebody and getting caught in their office with somebody gay <laughs> or somebody trans like yeah. his it reeks to me of this like self-loathing like you are the epitome of what you're supposed to be oh, we're getting here. deep here we're like like uh, you are you are <laughs> you like are like him, you yeah. are dun, 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 immigrante <laughs> like that's he's the carita like esa cara fea but like <laughs> That's the like. How else can you exist in this? Like the irony that he exists as quote unquote American, but is immigrant as as. And, and, and let, let's add to the irony because right? in the old identity politics, right, they appointed Hispanics, Hispanics right. who would look out for those issues. In this particular case, of course, here's an issue that our community really cares about, and we couldn't count on him. On top of that, he said. He said we shouldn't even touch amnesty because we will lose elections. That's what he said. Right. Not that it's good for the country, we not about the wisest road, just simply talking about sheer power. And here's the other complication because you, you alluded to his Canadianness, yeah. you know. Right. Um, so we know he was born in Canada, so he was able to manipulate. Uh, immigration rules to stay here. His gente is Cubano, son Cubanos, and we know that the Cubanos also, his gente, his parents, his family were from Cuba, so they were able to come to the U.S. also based on special special laws right. in immigration. Mm -hmm. Now, you'll recall that before President Obama left office, he ended the dry foot rule, which basically meant right. Cubanos who had crossed into Florida but touched dry sand could become permanent residents on their path to citizenship, right? That that's what his family benefited from. He crossed I'm legally good. because of that. Now, yeah. now, that went away. I didn't hear a peep from him. From him and his family directly benefited from that. I didn't hear yeah. a peep from Marco Rubio. Right. So here's my thing: no one can count on him, right? Yeah. Because he got his. And now where's yours? Right. And 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 the other thing on top of it, that's probably why. He got called Lion Ted right. by Trump. <laughs> if we had time, we could go into that. But let's tie it into the gun control then, because if this guy, if this guy stays in power after, you know, Hispanic can't count on him, um, folks who benefited from immigration, then he's one of those folks who turned their back on people. And then on top of it, even Dallas Morning News. They supported a different Republican candidate in the primary. Yeah, on top true. of it, so that's true. So much is at stake in the Senate. If, after all that, Ted Cruz still wins this election, again, we're not advocating one way there, we're just pointing out facts. Right. If he stays in, in the power, it's going to be same business as usual for all these gun laws, all this immigration, yeah. all this, right. nothing's right. going to change. Right. And the connection to that that I had brought up earlier was, here you have an individual that is willing to, to like, draw that line in the sand, put his weight behind, you know, we cannot give the amnesty, we cannot do these. He is all about gun control yeah. uh, in terms of, but gun control for like Second Amendment rights of things like you control your guns, like not like we need to make laws for gun control. Yeah. Um, and in that, his compadre in arms, uh, Marco Rubio, uh, yeah. out of Florida, who is also Cubano, um, they tell the same line in terms of what is the messaging that's given out to the public, um, which to me is, is a falsehood. I think 
the end result and the connections that we can draw from our I-10 connection between here and Florida is you. Ha the end result is, unfortunately, um, a kid like Nicholas Cruz, uh, ironically sharing the same last name yeah. as, you know, wow. uh, pain in the butt, Ted. Um, he has has, you know, stayed at his stance of what this is. There is nothing, and this is the scary part, the, the, the factors that affected Nicholas Cruz's decisions to, to do what he was able to do could exist and can exist and still can exist in a state like Texas. Yeah. There's, there's nothing that changes. And so for that, that, there's that connection, right? On top of the fact that um, reading more and more about this young gentleman's uh, actions you know the the he's going to get his day in court the things that are going to happen to him as as we can start to question like whether or not uh, um those things are correct and fair to a degree yes but the question is also what were all those factors that led to that day yeah in at school to say that that kid had a clean and pristine life not not doable but to then turn and flip and look at the stance of politicians in the face of what actually happened. Both Rubio and Cruz share that same echoing voice of that you're spreading the message that gun rights and gun laws, that gun rights are more important than the right to be able to live and go to school, right? Yeah. And that's, that's a unhinged. heavy, that's unhinged like heavy handed and the response you get from either one of them have been like, it's the, it almost sounds like, uh, uh, my wife said it the other day. Jasmine said it the other day, uh, Libo Traficante La Bocuda flat out said the other day, uh, it's like when you're the younger brother and the older brother's done something and yeah. you want to be able to, to finesse your way and get it done too. Well, they did it. Why can't I do <laughs> yeah. it too? Like the whole, well, we don't, we, it doesn't matter if we have better gun laws, people are still going to find a way to use. So, and the flip to that logic wise for me is, so that means we take away drunk driving laws. Like yeah. people can kill each other with cars and drink a lot, but we still have laws in place it, for the likelihood that stuff happens. When, when people say like, yeah, well, cars, you know, and like, you know, you should deregulate that too or something. But I'm also just like, yeah, but like no one is able to run into like 50 people per minute. Right. <laughs> like, right. Like, like no from far away. Let me fling my car at you. And I think if you look from at this tower, <laughs> if you look at the way that, that Ted Cruz has towed that line, and the money that he's taken from from donors yeah. and the things that he states that he's for it's no longer in the best interest of the public it, it's yeah. all about just the special interests that he's looking for but, and and it's 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 a travesty because i don't think he could say anything he has yet to I make a to statement say, has that fool he hasn't made a statement he yet. hasn't made a statement about what's happened to florida that's craven he that's stood, weird he stood behind the line of right now talking about the amnesty stuff and dealing and dealing with just the DACA conversation. And yet he's got parientes farther down the coastline 
as having and dealing with a thing that he doesn't have a statement about? Like you've been yeah. able to say all sorts of stuff about everything else. He's right now dealing with I, – I, I get his emails when he does whatever yeah. stupid thing he does. Right now he's like, we're trying to deal with the FCC he's like, and the net neutrality. And I'm like, really? Like I know that's important. What are you doing? Does he come to Houston that much? I never see that fool. Like, I never hear about him. He got his, this is his home office. Yeah. And I'll be real frank. For those of you that are out there listening, like – uh, as he got elected, I, I started trying to figure out, like, you know, how did he get elected? Yo, he bought barbecue box lunches for old ladies. In that's Galveston. like a, <laughs> that's like a pre style in Mexico. Yeah, like that. Yeah, like that. 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 Like yo, like you know, stop emulating those things and start being a true quote unquote American. So, yeah. So you think it is odd that he hasn't talked about it? It's way I, it, odd. It's weird. I mean, it's Craven on a very fundamental level in that he has not – you think something of that magnitude happens, everyone's talking about it, man. And it's like to be one of just 100 senators sitting in the U.S. Senate right now and the thing that everyone – not even – has he said anything about mourning, about – I haven't checked his Twitter or nothing. I don't really – I've looked and I have – I I, I no, <laughs> I have It just now, seems like bananas. As, as a nonprofit uh, – radio station we are not endorsing one candidate or the other we're merely giving you facts and these are facts yeah the, uh, yeah you know. but you know to talk about i mean go, going back to the soriana gift card thing and the way it's sort of like <laughs> sort of like pre-politics in mexico it is an act talk about facts this is an actual fact 80 percent of all the guns used in drug trafficking cases in mexico i'm talking about nautical violence but also sort of drug or sorry sorry month there's a freudian slip guns that are smuggled into mexico come from texas you know, fueling that drug war. And it's like, we, we think of these things, like all these things we talk about are like, oh, it's a gun issue or it's an immigration issue or it's, it's you know, it's like well, all those things are so intertwined, man. And actually, I mean, uh, it does tie into your book as well. I think I think yeah. you, you're, you're touching on those issues. So this is the soapbox. Man, we need like a five-hour show. <laughs> we actually have a show for you, an official show. Thank you so much for, for helping us with the soapbox there, Daniel. Thanks, yeah. And uh, today, of course, that's a sneak preview. This is all bonus thoughts from Daniel Peña, who we talk about his novel, Bang, at the top of the show, which is in seconds now. <laughs> And then also, waiting in the wings, Nelda Biescas, who'll be talking about her book, Finding the Right Side of Heaven. I'm so glad that she has joined us on the air. She was also at Nuestra Palabra. But really, what we're hoping to bring you is other aspects of these intellectual debates, because I think we are diving into this, and, and thank you for all the feedback to, to talk about these issues, because no one else is talking about the Latino perspective on these issues, and especially now that our community is being vilified, uh, talked about, and, you know, the old identity politics is over. Where at least then we could get some jobs in the White House or something, <laughs> you know. That's not happening anymore. Oh, man. It, it, it's up to us to, to bring this in. I, I will make one correction. I'm going to correct myself because as one of the co-hosts here at the show and as a writer, uh, it's important to get your facts straight and to do the things right because this ain't fake news. Yeah. Or, or Russian bot news. Or Rus Russian bot news. Yeah. Um, I, there is one statement that he made six days ago. He made one statement. Um, it got 948 likes. That's it? And 205 retweets. He retweeted. He didn't even make his own statement. He retweeted the CBS News report um, right at the moment uh, Cruz was placed into the patrol car a few 
uh, miles away from, from Douglas High School. Quote, Heidi and my prayers are with Heidi and my prayers <laughs> are with the victims and families of those affected by today's senseless shooting in Florida. As always, we are grateful to first responders who answered the call for help and quickly apprehended the attacker. So, so Heidi went to Florida because that's what he just said. Heidi and my prayers. Like, I'm not trying to nitpick. But that's just the thing that I'm English teachers. Yeah. And that's, as an English teacher, I need your grammar yeah. skills. But like that—that's the that, NRA astroturf. Yeah, too. That, that's it. That's, yeah. that, but that's it. That's the only statement he made, and it's still thoughts and prayers. Yeah, it's not anything about the victims. It's it's very, uh, you know, cookie cutter. It, it's and it's my, first responders, the kids. Like, yeah. we don't even know their conditions. Stop talking about all the other stuff. Yeah. Like and that for me is that's the same line that Rubio is touting. Nothing about what's the effect on kids. Nothing about what's the effect on teachers. That that community lost a lot, and and for him to for any politician to not be able to speak to that, like nobody's made a statement to thank the teachers. For yeah, that you, you, you know what? We should let all these issues flow completely within each other because I just realized. By design, I wish I could say it was by design. All the guests today, and uh, we as well, are not just writers, but also educators. Oh, so, yeah. no wow, joke, that's we, right. are, we are in classrooms. Yeah. So these issues all oh, man, yeah. feed, feed one off the other. I can't tell you. So many teachers I know are thinking about this right now. I was just thinking about, like, you know, is this like an OSHA issue? <laughs> like, should, right. I get a, should I get a bulletproof vest in my classroom? And, I mean, there's open – or is it isn't like campus carry is like a thing in Texas? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. you can – I don't know. I'm not privy of, like, the exact laws of it, but I know that uh, they had taken down a bunch of the plaques right. uh, all around uh, campus and stuff. Well, yeah. well, so, I mean, um, that's part of transitioning. I do, we do want to get back to – how the laws uh, of of Mexico, U.S. and transport uh, bleed into your novel, oh. and then also I think um, one thing too, um, I know folks have been arguing about armed teachers or not. That argument is lost at the college level because it is now um, legal to to carry uh, concealed weapons at the public colleges. So that is a law now. Um, and now it can't be they can't be seen in any way if, if they're seen in any way you're going to get in trouble yeah. now that is not the case at K through 12 and this has become a big issue because there were some idiots raffling off an AK uh, 47 for a raffle before this happened and then after this happened uh, one of them is a republican candidate he said we're going to still do it so we can open a dialogue our resp- their response is that Teachers should be armed, which I think means K through twelve teachers should be armed. So here's here's what I want to add to this. This issue is settled in Texas because K, higher ed, you're packing. Now, if you don't like that, you need to vote some people out. If if at this next election, this fellow who's raffling off an AK forty seven, if he wins, the next debate will be should students be armed? Because if the high school teachers are armed. Well, what if one of them goes? I mean, yeah, I don't know. You know it's what I'm saying? You know, they, I'm a teacher, and they, they don't, I have so many responsibilities already. Like, no one pays me enough to have that extra responsibility. I'm going to tell you right well, now. Imagine I mean, adjunct. I'm imagine a, adjunct. Like, I gotta carry well, Do adjuncts make enough to even buy ammunition? But <laughs> I'm, I'm going to tell you this as a high school teacher, and I'll probably, like, because it'll take me a moment to not be pissed off by saying this. So for all the high school... I think that word you can say on the air. Oh, we'll I check can't. later. You can, you can say that one. Don't say but it again. It. But then don't use Get the other there. word you want to use. Got it. <laughs> so... 
for as a high school teacher, and I'm gonna say this as as like nicely as I can. There are teachers in my building who I don't trust to do attendance. <laughs> Correct. And you want to be able to give us the opportunity to have a gun? One. The day comes that some legislator, and if you're listening to me and you want to repeat this to any legislator in the state of Texas or the broader U.S., my name is Guadalupe Mendez Medina. I live in Houston, Texas. I'm going to tell you the truth. The day somebody votes and says that we need to carry guns in classrooms and I teach kids between the age of 5 and 18, I will leave the teaching wow. field. Here's why. I came into this vocation because teaching is a vocation. Yeah. Medicine, teaching, and like religion are the only three jobs where you got to work with people and practice before you get that job. Yeah. Okay. You, there is no way that you could pay me to one day teach my class and then think in my head that I am going willingly to take a gun up against a child. Yeah. And if I ever have to choose that day where mm. I have to square one off on a kid, that will break my soul. And any other teacher that's out there yeah. that doesn't think in that sort, that's a dark thing. then you need to leave the classroom because oh, wow. you, you have already left that concept of why we're here. I would do everything in my power to make sure that a kid is safe so that they never have to feel the need to get a gun and bring it to You are experiencing Nuestra Palabra Latino writers having their say. We're having our say right now, (laughs) Mano, at 100,000 watts right now. To that end, like, like, you know, it's like I wish they could have, like, you know, there's like, I wish there was a lobby that could just bring Republicans into, like, a teacher's lounge to watch, like, that one teacher who can never work the microwave. Like, just like, I can't, uh, I was like, no, it's that one teacher who like who like warms up their fish in the microwave, yeah. and they're like it says don't warm up fish in the microwave. That's that one teacher. They're like, oh, what has this Keurig work? I would be the one that broke the Keurig. <laughs> so, so I mean, okay, and, and again, we are gonna. First of all, people need to read the book. Bang! A novel by Daniel Pena. He's an artist, teacher. Let's applaud him. Thank you. Okay, I'm, gonna do his, I'm gonna do his full bio. I'm gonna do the full bio. Do the full bio. All right, here we do go. The full bio. So, and we'll get back to all this because this is the only show on earth. Forget it. It's not just a Latino thing. We are writers, thinkers, intellectuals in the community. We're the only ones that can deliver this do information. Thing, right? Okay. Here goes. Uh, so this is this is uh, Daniel's full bio. Uh, Daniel Pena is a Pushcart Prize-winning writer. I do. An assistant professor in the Department of English at the University of Houston downtown. His debut novel, Bang, published by Arte Publico Press, is described by NBC Latino as such a timely novel that offers devastating insights into how communities adapt to severe shifts in culture and society. End quote. Publisher Weekly says Peña examines the symbol, the symbiosis of the United States and Mexico and makes painfully clear the negative effects of international trade, legal and illegal. This is a notable and compassionate novel. Formerly based out of La Universidad Nacional Autónoma de Mexico in Mexico City, he works as a writer, blogger, book reviewer, journalist. And we stole him. Like we, we steal all everything of value from Mexico. <laughs> the water drew me in. <laughs> His fiction has appeared in Plowshares, The Rumpus, The Kenyan Review Online, Callaloo, Wisacha, and elsewhere. He's currently a regular. Uh, he's currently a regular contributor to the Guardian and Plowshares blog. He's a Fulbright Garcia Robles scholar and a graduate of Cornell University. He lives and teaches in the H O U, baby. So yeah. Thanks for coming out, yeah, man. Yeah, thanks for having me. That was a beautiful introduction, man. Oh, by all means. And, and I think what is great is that, I mean, 
This is some of the fabric that leads to the book. You know, this is yeah. some of the fabric that we deal with in Texas, but no one's talking about it. Yeah, it's all about like trade. It's all about, I mean, it comes from like this one question that I had, which is like, where does dignity come from? And to that end, it was just like all these ancillary questions that came out. Like, like, can you really blame someone for asserting their dignity? Is it a privilege to buy into the right kinds of systems? Right. And when systems fail, people like, you know, how do they create their own systems, right? And so to that end, I was like thinking a lot about like black markets, but also like, you know, not black markets. I think the, the biggest irony in when I was researching this book is how drugs, you know, sort of would come to the United States and then we send something totally legal back. <laughs> we send guns back. Right. We're just like, here's some guns, you know? And then we think of like immigration and the drug wars, two really disparate things, but they're so intertwined. And the big thing that's like so painful for me right now, especially when I'm like watching these things on DACA or, um, you know, sort of, you know, they're trying to, you know, the way in which, you know, the immigration policy in general is nobody's talking about what happens after we deport these people and the way in which we're fueling that drug war that we're supposedly invested in fighting. And I think the writing's on the wall. It's it, the drug war's been a failure. You know, we're. We're not as interested in fighting it as we say we are, right? right. It's a tool used to incarcerate black and brown people. Right. It's a tool that, you know, if you go in and take it to its most extreme, it's kind of a form of genocide right. in that it's forcing people to flee situations in which they're already sort of, uh, you know, the situation is fraught. They come here, they push them further into the desert. But then also, like, the toll, I don't even know, like, the latest statistics, but it was something more than, like, 150,000 uh, people have died since 2006 in the drug war, which is like, that's, oh. that's, that's so many, that's so many people, you know, you think of like, like a, a normal war, like a normal quote unquote normal, like, uh, wars become so normalized here, but like, uh, you know, Vietnam, 70,000 American soldiers died in Vietnam, more than twice the amount of American soldiers that died in Vietnam are now sort of, those are the casualties of the drug oh, war in Mexico. And it's predominantly, you know, indigenous or sort of, uh, you know, poor, um, uh, people in, in, in Mexico. And if you throw in like that global perspective aspect, like, uh, 45 has mentioned in his speeches about why we needed a border wall. Uh, he's mentioned, uh, you know, Malas Alatrucha, MS 13, yeah. the whole deal. I, interestingly enough for me, it's like, that's been around for a while. Why yeah. are you just now bringing that up? Like, yeah. and if you want to get real technical on that, like all of that, Began from gang issues. Yeah, Ronald Reagan created right. MS-13. People don't know that. That's that's an actual fact. And and it's like these were these are things that occur here. And like you want to stop the you want to stop drugs from coming into the country? Then start arresting the, the white folks that are out in Hollywood it. and all these other nicer places, especially politicians and football coaches in college universities that are filming themselves yeah. taking a hit of, you know, Coke or whatever, like have those conversations, arrest the people that need to be arrested instead of throwing it back and saying that this is where it's coming from. Yeah. Right? No, it, what's weird right now is like in particular is this totally racist thing. Like the Russia thing is so much more scary right. than like MS-13. Right. In that, like, I mean, I was having this question earlier. I was talking about guns. Like, is it just as egregious to be bought by the NRA as it is to be bought by Russians. And it's like, <laughs> wow. it's like no, it's like, oh, but it's yeah. like, it, th those things are like, it's a joke and it's funny because it's, it's sort of a, a poignant question and it's a poignant question, but it's, 
that is more of the pressing issue, I think, to the fabric of this country, the social fabric of this country, than MS-13, than sort of undocumented immigration, than any sort of like we. I think like in the whole DACA debate, what's also been sort of disheartening is the way in which people start talking about these kids as criminals or something. And I'm like, dude, these are literally like they apply. They the can apply for DACA. Ever. Yes, they're so vetted, and it's like, how is how is that going to be the moral ground Republicans are going to stand on? You know, like. Well, they're, they're it, so invested. In the, DACA people are so invested in this country. They're they're arguably more American than Republicans. I think the tragedy of it too is that it really seems that there's a breed of Republicans that um, we're seeing now that will do anything or say anything to gain or keep power. Right? It's so. yeah, it's banana. It's uh, I mean, I imagine. I was talking to a friend of mine at, at UH who's who's doing a, a political science PhD right now, and he's saying like this whole last several months have just ruined like eighty percent of the dissertations. <laughs> you know, oh, no. like, because like you know like everyone's writing about American politics and it's like oh god you know what we used to think about sort of our country. Although we shouldn't be. I mean, I was talking to a real estate friend of mine the other day, and she was saying how you know we, sh we shouldn't really be surprised if you think about sort of like the uh, trajectory of the, the trend, the trajectory right? of, the, of of the cities, major cities around us. You know that you know Russia basically used our worst sort of like things against us. Like you know, th there's a quote out there that was like Americans lie to themselves all the time. Why wouldn't it? You know, it, it, mm. the thing around guns controls one of them. The thing about they just accelerated it. That's all they did. Yeah. But why we can lie to them too, and they won't even notice, right? right? And so you have like these sort of like I don't know whole things. But she was saying you can actually see it in the way that cities have evolved. Of course, this would be the natural trajectory. You, you know, it's interesting too. Um, is that we kind of did this to Poland and Russia too, in that. Yeah. When they were the big Soviet Union, it was American ideas that crept in there and yeah. changed the way they looked at the world. Yeah. Um, so we taught them the trick. <laughs> yeah. You know, except no, they... for us, I like to think that in those days, people were fascinated by our imaginations and, you know, uh, our ability with art, you know, rock and roll and everything. Well, right? we were looking forward. We're looking, forward. we're looking backwards right now. Exactly. And that's what's terrifying is that, like, you have a foreign power like Russia who is actively manipulating American elections. Like, that's that's that, that's, that's messed. That is so that messed is up. Make America great. Again. Yeah. And it's like it's like there's this nostalgia for an America that never was. Actually, and it's it and it's and, and it's terrifying because it's the big question is it's like I mean this is it's it's it really two questions like is it egregious? I mean, is it as egregious the NRA thing and the Russia thing? I don't think they're two separate things. They're totally they're part of that there. same fabric, man. It's medievalism. Look, all I'm going to say is this: if we go back to the America that was, yeah. I am only going to be left with the Puerto Rican dude on Saffron and Sun <laughs> <laughs> as a as a role model. The Boricua, who the Boricua, right? Like that's the only image that I remember as a kid. That and the and the the Speedy <laughs> Gonzalez cartoons and that the dumb Taco Bell dog. I love Speedy Yo, Gonzalez actually because he's like my favorite. I have a pet mouse. Is a true fact. <laughs> I'm not gothic or anything, but like I have. A, but it's like I love them as a symbol because like they can't be killed. They're unstoppable. That's true. They're just I fucking. They that's just, true. Yeah. By the way, he's got a novel. That's <laughs> sorry. <laughs> this is all part of the zeitgeist. See, I use a German word. Nice. Yeah, <laughs> to, to tie it in. But uh, do share the novel uh, a few pages, please, because sure. this is the sensibility that's inspired it and made it such a powerful read. Sure, I'll just read just like a little section about uh, the characters Quatemoc, and it's just him flying a drug plane that has not flown in like twenty years. I love that. And part. He's still trying. To, yeah. On the ground. He aligns the plane to zero degrees on the whiskey compass and digs his toes into the rudder and without giving so much as two thoughts to the whole process about how to take off on a sand strip 
or how to coerce an aging plane into the sky. He shoves the throttle in full to the chrome gilding and pops the yoke back into his chest to keep the front wheel from digging into the earth. The plane eases from its idle position. It goes fast, faster. Quatemoc rides that pocket of air until the plane violently shakes. It's only when he's reached seventy knots that he shifts the plane's lumbering weight from the ground to the wings and lifts the main wheels off the ground to hover in that pocket bubble called ground effect until eighty knots, ninety-five knots, and the wind shakes the tip of the wings and you can see the turbulence spiraling down by the patterns made in the sand. Whap, whap, whap go the blades, cutting air, and then silence, that split second when everything swims and sink and the thing is airborne ready to stall, and yet climbing skyward, another silver pin among the stars. In the air, the engines groan as Guatemoc pushes toward cruising speed. He looks down toward the earth, and there they are still, all those men waiting like idiots, a fellow thief, for all they know, flying their plane, and all of them standing around hopelessly looking, watching, waiting for him to land. There's a hubris that overwhelms Guatemoc when he sees Texas. I could go, he thinks, but who knows if he'd even make it. Who knows if there's even enough fuel in the wings. For the first time in his life, he feels truly powerful. He's in control of his body again, of this machine. He leans the mixture till the engines gurgle. Too little fuel. He puts the mixture back in to keep the engines running clean. He cuts the throttle back, the tailwind doing all the work now, and he whispers to the plane, convincing it to stay cool, if only for just a little longer. That's fine, he says to her. Right there, right like this, that's fine. A thousand feet up, and he kicks the left rudder crosswind to land. At the turn again, he feels the wind shake the plane, and the lift spreads goosey over the wings, the plane dropping suddenly, as if the landing gear has been knocked out beneath him. The wind buckles on a pocket of invisible wind that rattles the airframe before setting him right again on a downward slope to land. A lump in Quatemoc's throat now, a nauseous rocking in his stomach like it's a fishbowl filled with water, the only thing keeping him upright, and the plane drops again. He aims the nose at those silver arcs cutting the desert, all of those men standing in and around the headlights, and then he watches those arcs grow bigger and brighter, the plane descending toward the earth. He sees Texas out in front of him again, rising in the windshield. He thinks of himself, last chance, do it. Do it. Out of the windshield, everything is falling apart. Before his very eyes, he notices a loose rivet bobbing at the nose of the plane, just in front of the datum. That gives him all the excuse he needs not to go to Texas. The plane groans again. Wow. Beautiful. Potent prose. Beautiful. That is Daniel Peña reading excerpt from Bang and Novel. Thank you for joining us again, my friend. Thanks, man. Thanks for having yeah. me. So if Continue folks want to get a hold of you and, uh, and, and, and get in contact with you, where can people reach you? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, you can get at me at Danimal Peña. <laughs> <laughs> on, on Twitter, that. I used to do it. Yeah, or at Daniel Pena, or uh, you know, dp at danielpena.me. That's my uh, website, danielpena.me. Done. And this interview will be up on westapalabra.org tomorrow if you want to catch it. I know we were trying to get a lot in right now because we're just excited because we can talk about these issues, Thanks, man. Also, these uh, this archive will be part of the University of Houston Digital Library where they keep the radio archives. And our hard copies are kept at the Houston Public Library. If you do want to get involved with the elections, 
tomorrow there's a special event for organizers. That means if you want to find out more how to bring droves of people to vote, it's going to be at uh, it's called Big Hearted Texas tomorrow from 6 to 7 p.m. at 2512 Woodhead Street, Houston, Texas, 77019. We'll post that on the Facebook. I hope you'll go. I'll be there. But again, this is for folks that want to get droves of people out to vote. And the last Wednesday of February, February 28th, Mr. Palabra will be launching I Got Your Papers Right Here. So a special initiative to get folks out there to vote and we'll tell you about that again and again we're gonna have a short musical break you're experiencing nuestra palabra latino writers having to say on the air on kpft
And you found us. You're experiencing Nuestra Palabra, Latino writers having their say. Thank you so much for joining us and texting us and talking to us on Twitter, on Facebook. I'm going to post some of that information that I promised that you can follow up on. And we're going to continue this approach. This ain't your traditional talk show because if you want tradition, you got mounds of that. This is authentic thought that is bringing the community intelligentsia that is talked about but hardly ever heard. And I'm so glad we have our next guest on the air. Uh, Nilda Villescas, I have that correct. Thank you. MED um, uh, is an alumnus from McAllen High School in the RGV. Woohoo! The Valley! Uh, Pan American University, University of Houston Clear Lake, and Rice University uh, REAP. Nilda is, dedicate, is a dedicated educator, loving family members, loyal friend, avid sports fan, world traveler, spiritual seeker, and pet lover <laughs> thank you for being on the air with us thank you um we we, we were talking earlier how yeah. i wish if we were more clever we'd just say we did it by design <laughs> but all of the folks that we're talking to as well as ourselves we are not just writers but we're also educators and one thing i want to put out there because it does tie into your work is that what i think we're going to see is there's probably going to be a republican candidate that will run on the issue of arming, and I guess it's going to be K through 12, because in Texas, if you're in college, you're ready to have concealed weapons. Right. So that's, argument's over. Again, if you don't like that, you better vote someone out. Um, I think it's going to come down to bills that are going to arm K through 12 teachers. Um, any thoughts on that? Absolutely have thoughts on that. I mean, um, like everyone else in this country uh, was just really saddened and mortified by the uh, the tragedy that happened in, in Florida, and it continued to happen. I mean, you thought the first time in Columbine that was it. Right. We were all shocked right. by it. But it seems like it's become a situation where with each different shooting that happens, they've learned from what they were talking about on uh, on the media and, you know, all these drills that we've done, it's – there's an there's an attack and it's going to continue until we as a community i don't care what your affiliation is stand up for what's right and that's safety and and just unifying this country right and right. protecting our kids for crying out loud um in terms of your work um and if you don't want to mention your school either because sometimes i get kind of iffy with that too um but shout out to my kids i don't know if they're listening uh, <laughs> um like even within the days happening with the the shooting, like the kids have already asked me, like, Mister, would you take a bullet for us? Like, Mister, what about this? What and you we, posted about that. So, and, you, I, and I posted. Your right? students are actually asking you. Like, that. they're straight up. Like the day, the day after, like, Mister, can we talk about this? And I'm By like, the way, nothing we ever discuss at the MFA program. Right? <laughs> like, like, most <laughs> people have given MFA yeah, a part no. of the classroom. This is never part of the conversation so but in that what does that look like like what was the conversation like on your campus so far uh and, and what does that look like like how does that response to you know for our parents here like even just what yesterday stevenson middle school like a kid that was at home went and put a, a message on snapchat said he was going to shoot up the school and kid got arrested as well like what what is what does that look like well, in your building there's a lot going on i mean i i want to draw just something that happened today uh, that really touched me. Um, again, clearly, what happened last Wednesday was just traumatic. Um, not sure if you're aware, uh, something happened in KDISD 
Uh, no, no shooting, nothing like that. Right, but right, there right. was a threat of a terror. You know, same thing. There was some kind right, of a right, a plot right. that popped up, and to see one of my teachers today terrified, she had to drop her sons off at school with the kids crying. And that night they said, "This is going on," and she's like, "No, no, 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 that's not going on. It's not going on." And then. Uh, they send an email out, a blast, and she's like, oh, my gosh, I had to look at my kids and, and tell them. them that – how do you tell them that they're going to be okay when they're watching this on television? And, you know, here's my other piece that, you know, I, I talked to her, and we've got an idea of how we want to approach a situation. You know, we had a kid yesterday uh, that made a sound, you know, it was – you know, yeah, he yeah, claimed yeah. that it was a fake laugh, and it was offensive, and I had to – Think about how I was going to approach that from my perspective. And so what I did is I brought the children in and we talked about it and he explained what he was doing. And I got the chance to define a couple of things like misconstrue and and, uh, politically correct. And so they started to understand the whole scenario that's happening. And, And the issue that comes to mind is these children don't realize that false reporting or making these it's not it's not fun and games it's not a game right, and a lot right. of these children are thinking that and i think that our society has i you know i it 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 almost like goes away you know we become desensitized the children right. are somehow desensitized so there's there's got to be something around it and you know this morning uh reading uh, you know a, a message that came out that um uh, Betsy DeVos is pushing for arming teachers uh, is shocking to me because what's going to happen? I mean, as it is right now, we've got kids stealing teachers' cell phones off their desk. Can you imagine? Is that the case? Yeah. Wow. So, but interestingly enough, too, the flip side of that, there are teachers, and I said this earlier in in, in the the broadcast. Um, I could say broadcast. Um, that if the day comes that legislation passes and they're like, hey, teachers, by law, you have to pack, like, option to pack, whatever, I'm done. Like, I'm the, the fear of me squaring one off at a kid, what did I get in this game for? Exactly. But what here's the other second piece to that. I leave the classroom. Now we have a bunch. I'm not the only person thinking that. Right. How many empty classrooms are we going to end up having? And then who are going to be the people that are okay with carrying a gun into a classroom? And what does our classroom culture look like after that? Right. Well, exactly. And uh, I mean, I feel the same way. I to sit there and look at this woman today. She was terrified that her children, her, her children's safety, and mm-hmm. how she had that discussion with them. And you know, I just while she's talking. The first thing that goes through my mind, you all saw that same commercial where the there's an entrepreneur here in Houston somewhere that created the Kevlar backpack, right? right? And I'm like, dang, I can, you know, I can purchase a Kevlar backpack for every teacher. And, you know, I'm like, my mind is also everywhere, everywhere. Yeah, I mean, yeah, we're not the only ones. So I think the approach is to get out and get your voice heard. Mm-hmm. I, I have you not been impressed with these kids from Florida? Oh my no. gosh. They're they're and the fact that I think it's interesting enough that the kids did they were already one of them said that they had already been debating this like in their AP class, in their classes full on like they've been talking about this and one of them said that they were in the middle of even having a classroom mock debate about the topic when it happened. Wow. God, I didn't know that. Right? And and here they are. Like, they know their points. They, they've done their homework. They've done their homework. But I, I don't want to uh, take up 
more time uh, with just that. I want us to do our homework and give you an opportunity to read and tell us uh, about your book, um, Finding the Right Side of Heaven. Uh, congratulations Thank on you. said book. Um, tell us a little bit about it. And if you have like a short piece that you would want to read from that, it. That would be um, glad to. And so what, you know, uh, the title, lovely title. Thank you. I The title came pretty quick. Um, the interesting thing is that in uh, the book started, I started writing the book in 2004. And it took me 13 years later to get wow, it finished. beautiful. And, uh, you know, it was very interesting. Um, I finished eight chapters. It started, you know, December during the break, you know, because educators, they've got to yeah. you know, <laughs> do what they do. And, you know, I, my mind just doesn't work while I'm at work. I'm, right. I'm 100% doing what I do. And, right. and I love what I do. But this was placed in my heart to write. And the book, initially, the title, Finding the Right Side of Heaven, was in my heart initially, and I think that was just where I was in my life, was really going to address right-wing fundamental ideals. And as I matured in my life and my spiritual walk, I realized that it was not about singling out any specific group. It was about realizing that everyone is exactly who they are and where they're supposed to be. And this really, the importance of this is I finished writing the book in 2017 and that was a tough year you know there's been a lot of polarization with politics and and it's gonna get worse uh, yeah Mm -hmm. and uh, please go out and vote yes Uh, early voting started today yes it did (laughs) i will be there tomorrow awesome (laughs) (laughs) but the beauty is that coming from an educator's perspective and utilizing the things that i know i mean you brought culture in it you know and brought things that have that I've either witnessed or that again were brought to my heart was that we have to come to terms that this we're not black and white. This society is not black and white. There's a whole shade of gray that we're overseeing. Right. And when we get back to the gray and just start loving, mm-hmm. I mean, I think a lot of these issues will go away. I mean, we're talking about people right? and we're talking about, being valued and this book really does address the relationships and friendships the relationships of son and father mother child um spouse i mean it hits everything and the kind of ideals that we have that sometimes separate us and then in the end it kind of shows them going through that so i'd like to read a little bit about finding the right side of heaven we have about a good would you say, Tony, like a good five? Yes. Yeah, I can get it done. Perfect. I can get my Perfect. spot. So um, let me take you a little bit about where, where this is. Um, this is happening. Um, this is happening in the Valley. I'm from McAllen, Texas. Mm-hmm. And um, just talks about these young boys. Edgar. And uh, Roman. It was a sunny morning, yet the frost still was still outlining the window pane. Elena Isaira rolled over to gently wake her husband when she heard a loud thud. She jumped and shoved her husband. ¿Oíste algo, Martín? Martín moaned and rolled over to get more comfortable. Elena grabbed her robe and ran out of her bedroom, trying to move and dress at the same time. She heard the thud again and determined that it was coming from Roman's room. As usual, she jerked the door open and announced her entry without waiting for permission. ¿Qué pasó, mijo? Are you okay? 
Embarrassed by her discovery, she found Roman lying naked on the floor. She hadn't seen his nude body since his toddler baths and school-age days. Mom! I know, mijo, but you sounded like you were in trouble. I'm fine. I tripped on this. He lifted his steel-toe boot from beside the dresser. She asked, What are you doing up so early, mijo? You and your dad don't have to leave for another two hours. Mom, I told you that I wasn't going to the shop today because I was going to the concert with Edgar. Well, you, have you shared that information with your dad? No, but the sooner you close the door behind you, the sooner I'll be able to get dressed and visit with them. He swung his head in the other direction as he groped for something to brace himself. The door closed and Roman began to gather himself and laughed at the thought of his mother seeing him in such a vulnerable state. He wondered if he would feel the same embarrassment when he would share his first intimate moment with someone, and he prayed that it would be Amy. Dripping wet from the bath, Edgar returned to Romy's room, swabbing his hair down with a towel. You hog the hot water, dude. Romy went. Romy knew it was every man for himself when it came to bathing in the winter. You snooze, you lose. Fool, did something happen? Asked Edgar. No, why? It sounded like elephants running down the hall. Romy laughed. Just wait till I tell my mom you called her an elephant. Confused but certain he didn't want to disappoint his second mother, Edgar rebutted. Nah, man, you can't do that. I was just kidding. Romy continued to dress himself and laughed as he elected to keep the embarrassing moment to himself. Martin, ya levántate. Ya está el desayuno. Listo para comer. Martin rolled over and wiped his eyes and smiled at Elena. She was a good wife and mother. A day never passed when the family didn't share at least one meal together, and it was usually breakfast. What are we having, mi amor? Papas con huevo y tortillas de harina. The smell of tortillas filled the house as... It enticed everyone in the kitchen. Martin sat at the head of the modest table. He raised his hands, requesting the hands of those around him to interlock. The Iseguire family started every day with prayer, thanking God for all their blessings and their meal. Although brief, the moment allowed their family to connect, if only for a second. And for that second, it would last a lifetime. Hey, Dad, can you pass me the tortillas? Sure, mijo. Today you can help me with the oil chains as I have to work on the transmission of Mr. Lopez's car. Dad, I apologize, but I won't be able to help you out today. I have another commitment that I have to attend. Commitment? The only commitment you have right now is to your family. You know we have so many vehicles to service to meet the needs of our home. I know, Dad, but you have to go. I have to go to this event. It's really important to me. Roman's face blushed as his father recognized the signs of a young man in love. He remembered trying to get the nerve to ask Elena to join him for a milkshake. He smiled at Roman and said, Mijo, why don't you take the day off and make it up tomorrow? Surprised by Martin's response, she raised her eyebrows and pointed to the sink. Now you'll have time to help me with the dishes, since you won't have to leave with your dad. Sure, Mom, I'll drive. That's awesome. Congratulations Beautiful. on the great book. Nelga Biescas reading an excerpt from the right side of heaven. And do you have a website that people can keep track with you? It's uh, actually... Uh, on Outskirts Press, if you uh, Google Nelda Biescas, you'll you'll see it all right there. And uh, Outskirts Press, it was the uh, the company that I self published with. That's awesome. You can find my book on Amazon. You can find it on uh, Apple, uh, Barnes and Noble, and uh, and Outskirts Press. Fantastic. Beautiful. Well, and thank Beautiful. you for for reading it Nuestra Palabra last time. That meant a lot for us. Thank for you. joining us. Thank you for joining us today. We're out of time. Um, I'm Great hoping show. to see some folks tomorrow at Big Hearted Texas. We posted the information on the website. And, of course, when's the next Tintero? Uh, next Tintero reading will be next month on the 12th. Uh, we'll actually be hosting uh, 
Isis Fernandez Isis. Rojas, uh, who is an NP alum, uh, and she'll be reading uh, some of her fiction awesome. for our featured open mic reading. So it should be a treat and a blast. And so uh, this Saturday, there'll be a March to Vote for early voting. I'll be there along with a bunch of other folks. So if you haven't voted early, do show up with us at Market Square downtown at 10 a.m., and then next Wednesday at Nuestra Palabra, the 28th, I got your papers right here. It's going to be an amazing voter initiative with writers and poets and activists. I know you're registered to vote. That ain't enough. You got to come, learn how to get deputized, and inspire folks to get involved. Hey, this is Tony Diaz, Libre Traficante. Libre Traficante, Lips Mendes. And Jack helping us holding it down, Marlene Treveño, who is...